So far this summer, we have uh, been listening to the words of prophets, and we've listened to Elijah and Elijah, Amos and Hosea, all of them prophets in the Old Testament. Today we are shifting our attention to the one of the most well-known prophets, the prophet Isaiah. Now when I say Isaiah, some of you, especially those of you who are musically inclined, will think of Handel's Messiah. And you'll think of words that come from Isaiah 40, words like, words that are often, you sing in the Messiah, and we sing it, we hear at Christmas time, words like from Isaiah 40, one through four, comfort, O oh comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and cry to her that she served her term, that her penalty is paid, that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. A voice cries out in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be lifted up. Can you not hear those song, that song? Every valley shall be lifted up and every mountain and hill be made low, that uneven ground shall become plain, and the rough places a plain. Then the glory of the Lord shall be revealed, and the glory, the glory of the Lord, okay? <laughs> that poetry is so beautiful and so much a part of who we are. That's not the Isaiah we're looking at today. <laughs> yes, that beautiful poetry is in the same book, but scholars have long agreed that the book of Isaiah is a compilation of at least two, possibly three, maybe more, uh, prophets whose prophetic activity took place over the span of four centuries, um, beginning with the 8th century BC. The words that I just read are from the chapters that are attributed to a prophet that scholars call Second Isaiah. Today, however, we are looking at the words of the prophets whose writing may up, make up the bulk of chapters 1 through 39 and whose name is given to the entire book. Isaiah of Jerusalem, who was active in Jerusalem, the capital of the southern kingdom of Judah, throughout most of the second half of the 8th century BC. Though little is known about this man, um, we can draw some conclusions from the writings that were left. He seems to have access to kings and to the temple priesthood, which suggests that in contrast to, say, Amos or Hosea, Isaiah was an insider, perhaps a priest or a royal advisor, someone who moved easily in the circles of power and between the institutions of Judah. We also know that Isaiah received his call to prophesy during a dramatic vision of God seated on a throne filling the temple of Jerusalem. And you can read that very famous passage in Isaiah 6. As you'll hear in a moment, the book opens by describing the words that follow as the vision of Isaiah, son of Amos. John Holbert notes that this phrase indicates that Isaiah is a visionary who does not see the world as you and I see it. Likewise, as you will hear, the prophet's message is from God, not from him. Indeed, the prophet is tasked with speaking the word of the Lord. The question is, will the people, will we hear that word? Let's listen now as Glaffy reads. The vision of Isaiah, son of Amos, which he saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem in the days of Isaiah, Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah, kings of Judah. 
Hear, O heavens, and listen, O earth, for the Lord has spoken. I reared children and brought them up, but they have rebelled against me. The ox knows its owner, and the donkey its master's crib, but Israel does not know my people do not understand. Hear the word of the Lord, you rulers of Sodom. Listen to the teachings of our God, you people of Gomorrah. What to me is the multitude of your sacrifices, says the Lord? I have had enough of burnt offerings of rams and the fat of fed beasts. I do not delight in the blood of bulls or of lambs or of goats. When you come to appear before me, who asks this from your hand? Trample my courts no more. Bringing offerings is, is futile. Incense is an abomination to me. New moon and Sabbath are calling to convocation. I cannot endure solemn assemblies with iniquity. Your new moons and your appointed festivals my soul hates. They have become a burden to me. I am weary of hearing them. When you stretch out your hands, I will hide my eyes from you. Even though you make many prayers, I will not listen. Your hands are full of blood. Wash yourselves, make yourselves clean. Remove the evil of your doings from before my eyes. Cease to do evil. Learn to do good. Seek justice. Rescue the oppressed. Defend the orphan. Plead for the widow. Come now, let us argue it out, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be like snow. Though they are red like crimson, they shall become like wool. If you are willing and obedient, you shall eat the good of the land. But if you refuse and rebel, you shall be devoured by the sword, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. The word of God for the people of God. I was talking with Mother Dinah this week, and she was saying that she preached on Hosea, who speaks in like manner to the people of Israel, and she started out her sermon saying, so how about those Dodgers? <laughs> the prophets did not mince words. Hear, O heavens, and listen, O earth, for the Lord has spoken. Isaiah styles the message that he bears as a court case in which God calls upon the cosmos to hear a lawsuit that God is bringing against his people. The complaint, I reared children and brought them up, but they have rebelled against me. Even domestic animals know their master, the prophet says, but people, the people fail to acknowledge the one who has given them all things and made them who they are and who longs to be in relationship with them. The section that follows, which is not included in today's reading, appears to refer to an attack on Judah, probably by the Assyrian Empire. It probably comes from a later period and has been inserted by an editor. Um, and, but however, it, we look at it as well. In verses 4 through 9, God questions his people, asking them why they continue to sin and rebel when all it brings them in disaster, is disaster. In essence, God said to them, look at the trouble you brought upon yourselves. But God's question seems to fall on deaf ears. The prophet voices the people's thought, if the Lord of hosts had not left us a few survivors, we would have been like Sodom and Gomorrah. Hey, God got us through it. I guess we're not so bad after all. 
Isaiah is not about to let them get away with that. And again, he proclaims this time in a much more surprising manner. Hear the, rule, the word of the Lord, you rulers of Sodom. Listen to the teachings of our God, you people of Gomorrah. You can stop patting yourself on the back, Judah. In the eyes of God, you are just as bad as Sodom. You are just like Gomorrah. Now, it's important here to note that the destruction of these two cities as described in Genesis 19 was seen as a punishment of God. However, not necessarily for the sin of sexual depravity that is often attributed to them. As we will see as we continue to look at this passage, Isaiah's complaint lines up more with the description of Sodom's sin that we find in Ezekiel 16.49. This was the guilt of your sister Sodom. She and her daughters had pride, excessive food, and prosperous ease, but they did not aid the poor and needy. So Isaiah has their attention now. So what is the word of the Lord to which the people are to listen. What are they meant to hear? Not what they expect. What to me is your multitude of sacrifices, says the Lord. I've had enough of burnt offerings of ram and the fat of fed beasts. I do not delight in the blood of bulls or lambs or goats. When you come to appear before me, who asks this from your hand? Trample my courts no more, bringing offerings as futile incense is an abomination to me. And it goes on from there. Isaiah's words would have shocked those who heard them. The sacrifices that formed the center of Israel's worship were laid out in God's law in the Torah and presented as divine commandments. Yet the word of the Lord that Isaiah brings to them is in essence, I reject your worship. It would be as if someone told us that God hated our hymns and our prayers, our sermons and flowers, our baptism and communion rituals. Would have been a scandal. Why would God reject their worship? The first clue comes to us in verse 13. I cannot endure solemn assemblies with iniquity. About what, what is the iniquity about which the prophet is speaking? A further clue comes in verse 18. When you stretch out your hands, I will hide from you. Even though you make many prayers, I will not listen. Your hands are full of blood. Again, a shocking statement. Though the people stretch out their hands in prayer, God will not listen. As they do not listen to the word of the Lord, so the Lord will not listen to their words. Why? Because their hands are full of blood. Bloody hands bring to mind the practice of animal sacrifices, but the following verses make it clear that the prophet is not talking about the blood of bulls or of lambs or of goats. He's talking about the stain of injustice and the blood of those that are oppressed by the powers that be. The verses that follow read like this. Wash yourselves. Make yourselves clean. Remove the evil of your doings from before my eyes. Cease to do evil. Learn to do good. Seek justice. Rescue the oppressed. Defend the orphan, plead for the widow. 
Isaiah is not condemning the practices of worship of Israel out of hand. Rather, he is calling the people to make a connection between their worship in the temple with their lives outside the temple. Though the leaders faithfully lead the rituals and perform the sacrifices, they have not led their people in paths of justice. Though the people listen to the psalm sung in the temple, they, have, they fail to hear the cries of the orphan and the widow in the streets. Their worship is empty of meaning because of this. In the words of John Holbert, for Isaiah, as for Amos and Hosea and Micah and Jeremiah and Ezekiel, worship that does not lead to justice in the community is just not worship at all. Wash yourselves, God commands. Make yourselves clean. Cleanse not only your hands of the blood of animals, but your hearts of the evil that leads to oppression and the neglect of the needy. Cease to do evil. Though ceasing to do evil and learning to do good, Jean Tucker writes, are not empty abstractions, nor do they simply refer to changing one's attitudes. To seek justice is to care for the powerless members of society, the oppressed, the orphan, and the widow. Right worship is meant to be lived out in right relationships with others. At this point, you may be wondering if Isaiah is advocating a suspension of temple worship. Does he mean to do with it all altogether? No, I don't think so. That was certainly the center, that worship, the sacrifices were the center of Israel, of Israel of Judah. Nor would I suggest that we are meant to stop gathering in this place to pray and praise our God. It is right and good for us to worship together. It is good to stop during our busy weeks to focus our, our relationship with God and to recenter our lives. But this passage challenges us to think about why we are here. What is the purpose of our worship? Is it simply to give us a break, to allow us to enjoy good music and to see friends, to share prayers and perhaps learn a little more from the sermon? Is it to praise God and thank God for all of our blessings? Is it coming to, are we here to confess our sins and receive forgiveness and then to offer something back to our merciful God? Why do we worship? I think it is all of those things and that all of those things are good and necessary to our faith. But our worship is also meant to be something else. It's meant to be a time to gather strength to receive courage and to listen, really listen to the word of God so that we can go from this place to serve God in our daily lives and in our actions with others, interactions with others. It is meant to empower us to do good, to seek justice, to rescue the oppressed, and to care for the most vulnerable among us. As I looked at this passage this week, and especially as I read Isaiah's litany of instructions, cease to do good, learn to do evil, it reminded me of the general rules of the United Methodist Church, rules that were written by the founder of the Methodist movement, John Wesley. In summary, they are, do no harm, do good, attend upon the ordinances of God. 
that is, follow practices such as gathering and worship, public worship, studying scripture, sharing communion, and praying. With these words of wisdom, with these rules, Wesley linked together the spiritual life that enhances our relationship with God, with our communal life, and our relationship with others. In his mind, as in the mind of Isaiah, the two of them are entwined together. Do no harm, do good, attend the ordinances of God, or as Bishop Reuben Job put it, stay in love with God. Those are not just separate things, they are two halves of a whole, as they were in the life of Jesus Christ. The Gospels tell us that Jesus attended the Sabbath, regularly attended worship on the Sabbath regularly, that he pondered and knew scripture deeply, that he prayed constantly. They also tell us that he cared for the needy, that he sought justice for those who are oppressed and called those who followed him to do the same. In order to live out this call, this vision of life with God and life with each other, however, we truly have to hear the word of God and not just listen to it on Sunday morning and then walk home and forget it, but to take it into ourselves and more than that, to obey it. In the Hebrew, the word we translate as hear has a wider range of meaning. Yes, it is talking about the physical uh, practice or the physical effort of hearing something, but it also anticipates that there will be a response, that obedience will follow the hearing. That expanded meaning is implied in the final verses of this passage, verses in which God lays aside his role as a prosecuting attorney and takes on the role of an arbiter. Come now, let us argue it out, says the Lord. Or as Clinton McCann translated, come now, let us correct this situation. Then comes this extraordinary offer. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be like snow. Though they are red like crimson, they shall become like wool. Mercy is offered and hope is held out. And now it is God, not the people, who will clean their bloody hands if they are willing and obedient. If they hear, if they obey, the prophet says, you will eat the good of the land. You will live in peace. But if they choose not to hear and obey, then they shall be devoured by the sword. If they hear the word of the Lord and respond, the possibility of a new future opens up to them. If not, well, that future is lost. What happens to them is up to them, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. God continues to speak to us. God continues to show us the way of life in the words of scripture and in the life of Christ a way to life that is not just for us, but for all people, especially those who are most vulnerable. The question is, are we listening? Are we listening? Amen. <laughs>